Hello, hello. I'm Dr. Felicia Mebbin, Executive Director of the Center for Public Health Initiatives at Norfolk State University, and this is Health Healing and Hampton Roads. Now, let me tell you, everyone, I am super excited. I know you've heard me excited before, but I am super excited today because we are on the road. This is our first recording that is not in the WNSB studio, and we are excited to do it because we're all about community and public health and people and how can you best do that go where people are so i'm super excited we are at the ida b barber early learning center in portsmouth virginia and i am here with dr kirsten erickson my colleague and also dr margaret buxton hello hello (laughs) hello hi (laughs) so let's get started with something about both of you so one of the goals of the show is to connect people with other people and professionals in the area who are working to support our community so dr erickson we'll start with you tell us a little bit about where you're from, about your training, and your connections to Hampton Roads. Okay, sure. First, let me say I'm I'm super excited to be a part of this, and thank you for offering this opportunity to us. I, if I think way back, actually, I am from Montreal, Canada, so that's where I grew up, but I have been living in the United States for over half my life. Now I won't age myself, but over half my life. (laughs) And I have worked with youth and children when I was beginning when I was a teenager, and then I worked in daycare centers. I decided I wanted to enter the profession of social work, so then I became a school social worker, practiced as a school social worker. I've worked in early intervention, birth to three, with children and families who might have different challenges because of disabilities or delays and speech challenges, that kind of thing. And I also worked as the executive director for Big Brothers Big Sisters, a mentoring organization for youth. So my experience practice has always been with youth, an area of interest also. And I also lived in Illinois for a while, practicing as a school social worker and obtained my education there. Uh, but I have been in the Hampton Roads area for over 30 years now, actually. Oh, wow. Yes, I think it's 30 years. So I love the area. I love being part of uh, the Norfolk State University community. And I actually currently serve as the as a board member for the Children's Center, which is for early uh, Head Start and Head Start. Uh, so that is for the Southampton Roads area serving Uh, There are eight centers serving Suffolk, Franklin, Cortland, and Smithfield. So speak a little bit more about your training. So in order to be able to do that, do you have to have degrees or just what kind of exposure or training do you have? Sure. My bachelor's degree is in child studies and sociology. I learned quickly after being in the daycare center that I wanted to do a little bit more. So obtained my master's degree in social work in Illinois and certification in school social work. Then I moved to this area and obtained my PhD in urban studies with an emphasis in human services. Okay, great. And so again, correct me if I'm wrong, you don't necessarily have to have all of those degrees to be able to engage and work with children, but you are a professor and you have to have certain credentials to do certain things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. As I said, I I started with working with children in a daycare center and we've had the pleasure of doing that here. So it was wonderful to come back to this environment and work 
here uh, on, on developing different programming here too. Great, great. So I'm going to turn to you, Dr. Buxton. Tell us okay. a little bit about yourself and where you're from, how you're connected to Hampton Roads. Okay. I was born in Schenectady, New York, but moved to Virginia when I was two years old. So I really don't remember that. So I grew up in Newport News. You know, I attended Carver High School. In fact, this weekend is going to my 55th <gasps> high school reunion. Wow. I know. I can't believe that. <laughs> anyway, and then I attended Hampton University. It was Hampton Institute then for my bachelor's degree, which is in early child education. Then I also got my master's degree from Hampton University. And then I went on to the George Washington University and got my doctorate degree. But my whole field of education has been in education. Yeah. I've been an educator. I started off, you know, right out of college. College teaching and stayed in education till I retired. Um, so I taught uh, preschool, elementary. I did substituting in middle and high school. I've even taught at the college level. Wow. Um, so and thank you because okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know just it's been my whole passion to work with with children and youth and um, because I grew up in. Yeah, like one of the lower poverty areas mm -hmm. um, in downtown Newport News. And so, you know, just, just to be encouraged, um, my parents emphasized that, you know, we needed to get an education. Mm -hmm. You know, back then, your way out was an education. Right. So my parents, neither of them had a chance to go past high school, but all four of us, the children, all finished college. And wow. so, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I know my father used to say, you know, I don't care what you do once you get that degree, but you're going to get that degree. Right. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah. My parents were similar. They said, uh -huh. you know, what you do after your undergrad degree right. is on you, but we need that yeah. to happen. So it yeah. did. <laughs> so I, I've, um, I've taught in um, Virginia Beach. I taught in Richmond. I taught at Hampton University in the lab school. Um, then I, I came to Portsmouth um, as an administrator, and I was director of human resources for 10 years, and I retired um, from there. From After 40-some years, I retired as an educator. And that actually gave me the opportunity to do what I really love to do, which was to get back to early childhood, get back to the, the working with the little ones, mm -hmm. because that is what is needed, especially now that they're like sponges, you know, I'm not going to talk about the whole brain, but between birth and five is when the brain really needs the development. Mm -hmm. And in order to develop that brain, they need the positiveness, they need the love, they need the nutrition, you know, and talking about the health, you know, we focus on nutrition here. Well, you've mm -hmm. got to feed the brain the right stuff. And the whole thing with children and obesity has just been a problem with me. So right, we right. work on, you know, eating healthy, healthy choices. We prepare all the food here, you know, for the children. And we do training with the parents to talk about certain ways you can eat and, and how that affects the brain as, along with the, you know, the learning and the development and the physical activity, the, the nutrition has to be all that sugar and dye and you know, it's just not mm -hmm. good for mm -hmm. the brain and for mm -hmm. their body. So if we can do that here and share that with the parents, we hope that it have some impact on the development of the children. So in ways that I'm um, off the subject a little bit there, the ways that I'm connected in the community, I've served in um, many boards um, through in Portsmouth. I've lived in Portsmouth since 1986. You know, my children went to Norcom High School and, you okay. know, all, all through <laughs> here in Portsmouth. And, um, you know, we've been stable in the community with PTAs, you know, with the soccer teams, you know, you know, been um, in 
several community organizations. I'm a Delta. Okay, okay. <laughs> you know. Okay, I see, okay. I see what you did there. Okay, okay. so I've got you know a lot, lot of um, uh, clubs and organizations. Just been a part of the community for many, many years. And I just want to, when I came back here to work at Ida Barber, you know, I just felt it was an opportunity to get back to my real passion, and that was to work with the children. And that's what I've been doing. The whole legacy with Ida Barber is important because she has been a major factor in this community. Um, I don't know if you know this, but in the Library of Congress, in the archives, this school is listed as the first black daycare in 1910. Wow. That's know? amazing. Right? <laughs> and just and through the years, of course, because of all the struggles and all the you know, things gone through, you know, it's kind of lost its glow a little mm-hmm, bit. Mm-hmm. And it went through some struggles. Sure. So these last three or four years, you know, my goal is to to bring it back, to keep her legacy alive. And and, and because these children and the children, people in the community don't need to forget what she did for the children right. you know, and how she started. So that's what's important to me. And my, my impact in the community is to help the families now, you know, which really are struggling, which we all know that, mm-hmm. you know, especially if you're low income. Mm-hmm. And to just do what we can, you know, with, with health, with mental health, with food, nutrition, with, with budgeting, with finances. We're not just a daycare center that serves the children we serve the families as well that is so. okay so i think we're done no okay <laughs> all right no no, no that too was, much because that was yes. not at right all again. never right. never too right. much that was amazing because i was going to ask you more about the center anyway so there you go okay and one of the things that i love about what you said that i was a point that i was going to make a little bit later is you know public health connects to education and access mm-hmm. to lots of information so you already beat me to the punch about well how is this health so we'll get back to that in a second um but so but tell us a little bit more about your specific role so you're the director? I'm the executive director okay. here. Executive director here. So, and I have a director, and we have, you know, the staff. Mm-hmm. Um, so my role, of course, is to make sure that um, I, I report directly to the board. We're run by a volunteer board, okay. you know, which we, re- we meet every month, you know. And I report to the board and, you know, go over all of the um, activities. To make, I make my director's report and all the things that are going to keep them involved. They'll know, since they are the, the, the board that helps us operate, you know, what's going on. So my role is to be that liaison between the board and the staff, you know, and, you know, just out of the grant writing, you know, the, the office manager, just because we're so, so short staffed, we have many roles that we do sure. um, that used to be positions. Right, <laughs> so now right. it's like the two of us do everything. Right, so. right. So thank you for sharing that, though, okay. because I think, again, it's helpful for people to know there are a variety of ways that people have jobs and their opportunity, right. you know, different opportunities there for people to engage in the community. Um, so mm-hmm. I want to shift back to you, Dr. Erickson. So tell us a little bit more specifically about your role as a professor at Norfolk State. Sure. Um, So I have been, I've actually been uh, part of the faculty since, well, for nine years I was teaching. Uh, And then more recently, in the past three years, I've taken on more of an administrative role um, as associate dean in the school. But I still uh, am teaching because... I love to do that. And one of the things that I enjoy about teaching is is actually being able to apply um, opportunities such as our involvement here at Ida Barber, explain to students how we can become engaged in the community, of course, applying our social work skills uh, and working with individuals in the community, whether it be families, children, all kinds of populations in this particular case, though. Mm -hmm. Um, We're talking about children and families. So 
and how we can be better professional social workers. So the goal is to help them develop those professional skills and engage in the community in different ways. Mm -hmm. So that's what I have tried to incorporate throughout my classes, beginning with the development of a uh, trauma-informed care course a few years ago at the undergraduate level, uh, recognizing the value in students understanding that and how uh, what we know now, all types of trauma to impact development, um, beginning with young children. So, mm-hmm. so again, yes. d- so again, that's fascinating. Tell us when you say trauma, what do you mean? We uh, many may be aware of the research about ACEs, um, adverse childhood experiences that impact child's development, in particular their brain development. Um, and we are now understanding there can be generational trauma. And so how that impacts a child's development to last a lifetime and what can we do to help uh, improve that, mitigate it, and um, help children develop uh, the best they can and nurture them so that that can be enhanced. Mm-hmm. So uh, there are parallels to public health um, mm-hmm. in some ways because there's medical care where you have physicians and you present somebody presents with the problem and then I try to resolve the problem and then there is the public health approach which would step back and say well what's the context what are the drivers what are the root causes of that and then that can also give you insight into helping people like groups of people into addressing trends. So it sounds like something similar right so social workers will work directly with families or individuals, but you also are training them to think about the context in terms of trauma writ large or that might be longitudinal and all of that to be able to understand and provide a more comprehensive range of care. Is that right? It, absolutely. Okay. And, and what we might define as systemic challenges mm-hmm. and causing you know trauma uh, to groups of people, oppressed populations, all those kinds of things within the social context, social work context. That's what we're examining too. Exactly. So, and we'll say, yes. we say social determinants of health, but they're, yes. they're different words for similar dynamics, basically. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. The environment, we we discuss largely in social work about the impact of environment on Mm -hmm. an individual's development. Right. And then in public health, we recognize that health is driven by genetics, Mm -hmm. it's driven by health care. And then it's driven by environment, but that can also be the so it's the social environment, but the built environment as well, like the physical environment that people are dealing with. So it puts all of the political yes. environment, like all of those things. So, so it connects together, which is why we're here talking about this in relation to health, which is so exciting. So let's turn to the specific reason why we're here, which is a project um, that ha- that you guys have been engaged with, that you guys are leaders with, mm-hmm. um, that has been funded by. Uh, public health initiative funds from Norfolk State. So let me explain that just a little bit. So Norfolk State has been in partnership with Old Dominion University and Eastern Virginia Medical School to build a joint school of public health, which is pending. We're getting close. It's not quite there, but we're almost there. We're, we're on track, which is amazing. And some of those resources that are dedicated to building public health initiatives for the school, as well as specifically at Norfolk State, for example, were distributed to faculty at all three institutions. And we had a competitive process, so there was a request for proposals, and we said, okay, there are just a couple of things we would like to make sure that everyone does. We wanna focus on health equity in some way. And for our Norfolk State uh, principal investigators, we also wanted student engagement, and then we wanted engagement with um, 
partners at at least one of the other institutions. And also here at Norfolk State, we also have a really strong focus on community engagement and partnership, which is part of why we're here. So Dr. Erickson received these funds and the funds were for, and now we're going to get into, please describe for us the project that you are working on with Ida Barber. Yes, certainly. Um, So you're right. We were very excited to receive support to be able to um, deliver this idea that we had been thinking about. I have several colleagues that were um, on our team, if you were collaborators, um, uh, including Dr. Uh, Von Eden, Dr. Jackson Nevels, Dr. Davis Wagner, Doctor, uh, those are all those are all faculty from Norfolk State University within the School of Social Work, uh, and then also our uh, partnership with ODU, as you mentioned. Um, so, Doctor Christina Rodriguez is our. Um, ODU connection, if you will, in this collaborative effort. Um, And so all these experts work together uh, to, our interest was in determining or finding corporal punishment or physical punishment has been found to be a potential risk factor uh, for child abuse in the research and literature. And so we know that creating or um, reducing corporal punishment and creating no hit zones is one way in which that can help reduce that, the corporal punishment. And so uh, although we know that daycares don't promote, and particular Ida Barber, um, Early Learning Center, of course, does not promote uh, physical punishment, we wanted to make it official and try to help change um, the social norm of spanking, in plain terms, spanking, um, hitting. Uh, and so um, we were so excited that Ida Barber was, um, well, actually, Dr. Buxton actually deserves the credit <laughs> of being so enthusiastic in supporting our efforts to uh, implement a program here and was was the first to agree to do this. So uh, we had three di- different child care facilities who participated, but um, this was the first to agree and participate. Um, so we were excited to be able to implement this training. Along with, um, I, I should mention, students were also involved. Uh, so we have a student um, at each of our levels within the school. There's PhD, MSW, and BSW, and we had one student from each of those levels uh, participating whether it be data gathering at the um, and developing the questionnaire surveys at the PhD level, um, and then the MSW students and BSW students actually came to the center to help with um, implementing those surveys and um, participated in the training actually. So, and so Dr. Buxton, what was it about this project that? you know, why you were the first person to agree to participate. And I thought it was very interesting and it would be a challenge for us because culturally spanking has been something that's been instituted throughout our culture for many years. And the way to change behaviors was always believed through spanking, even though spanking never changed anything. People just found other ways to get to do what they wanted Mm -hmm. to do. But, you know, and I just thought it was, was a great opportunity to learn some research on it and to work with our parents. Now, we don't have that here, you know, because our children are so young. I mean, mm-hmm. they're six weeks to three or four years old, so we, we, there wasn't ever any spanking. Mm-hmm. But I thought that if you could 
train and work with the parents who have older children, who go out in the community, um, and it's all around us all the time, all the violence and all the 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 abuse that goes on. I mean, you see it on on the news, you see it on children, in that if we can talk about not only the no hit here at school, take the no hit at home as well. Um, and then you talk to your friends about it, you talk to your neighbors about it, you talk to your relatives about it, and you say, you know, guess what I learned? This is what I learned. Do you know that spanking really does harm the children, that harms the brain, and it can have a detrimental impact on the growth of the child, and that maybe we need to come up with some um, alternative strategies to redirect their behavior. And that's what I've wanted to do. And, and um, I thought that the parents were very welcoming. You know, they were very Absolutely. enthused about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they participated and they answered the questions and they came in and um, they carried it into the home. You know, and many thought that it was a really great research tool, very great information that they could share and also use in homes because they have other children. And sometimes our first reaction is to to hit or stomp or pop or something. And we want to change that way of thinking that they may not be the first reaction. And when you think about the children today and how they're so engrossed in these games, you know, the PS4 and the PS5 Mm -hmm. and PlayStation, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, they're looking at all of those violent acts. So when the brain sees violence, violent acts, their first decision when they are confronted with a situation would be to react violently. Mm -hmm. So if we can stop that now while they're this age, keep them out of looking at so much of the the games, so much of the violence that's on TV Mm -hmm. and in the videos, in the movies, that if we can change that now, that as these children get older, they'll make better decisions or make better choices and not react that way, you know? So I just thought that it would be a great, being being, um, an educator, I taught at the university, I taught at at Regent University for many years, I did diversity training there, and I taught a class at Norfolk State, (laughs) you know, I taught a class at ODU, but you know, I just thought it'd be a great opportunity, you know, to share this information and to, and to bring an element of the research and what can happen to a community that doesn't have access to that. They don't hear that. They don't see that, you know. Right. So I thought that would be part of uh, an advantage that we could promote, you know, in learning about this. And, and it was well received. That's, I mean, this sounds yes. like the model relationship <laughs> <and> partnership. <laughs> I'm so glad that you said that because there is a role for academic institutions to directly benefit communities, but you do have to have partners who are willing to help right. you to make the tra- translation right. and to make the connection. So both mm-hmm. of you are amazing. This is awesome. So <laughs> did you want to follow up, Dr. Erickson? I, I don't feel like there's really anything more I need to say. As you can hear, Dr. Buxton has been a wonderful partner and very supportive. Maybe I could just add add that um, we, um, so we did have an expert trainer who came and actually delivered the training, uh, which was, um, so we were trying to, um, as I said, uh, change the social norm and maybe on a macro level have a policy of no hitting. Um, And so um, everyone who works here was part of the training mm-hmm. and then the parents or guardians came afterwards um and pro- ha- had the training also so it was it was a multiple uh training in which we wanted to involve everyone in this understanding and covered um 
what it does do to the brain. It's it's interesting. I mentioned ACEs earlier. They're now suggesting that perhaps the same um, experience occurs in the brain from a spanking as to a full assault. Wow. The, the chemicals in your brain do the same thing. So we right. know that's harmful for children. So we shared some of that, um, some of those uh, critical information points, if you will, so that parents, guardians, that we all understand, wow. And this is this is kind of just becoming an understanding um, and, and what it can mean to the child's development, of course, later. Um, although we, I wanted to share a couple, I think Dr. Buxton did a great job of, of sharing how supportive everyone was. If I could share a quick few anecdotal um, feedback mm-hmm. that I have here. Um, we're still analyzing fin- the final results, but um, for example, the information on the brain was disconcerting. I just did not know how corporal punishment affects development. And so this is a quote from one of the participants. Yes, exactly. exactly. And I'm reading this to okay. make sure I get it accurate. Sure. Um, uh, there was no judgment. The trainers were open about their stories. Um, so every, it was more of a discussion. People And people shared their stories. And uh, not to be a judgmental, but, you know, here's what here's how this can affect the brain and development um um here's someone said we are making our entire home a no hit zone uh i wish i had the information presented in this fashion when i was raising my children now i know i will pledge a no hit zone with my grandchildren so we felt we we can see it's impactful and we were excited about uh, some of these preliminary results It's, it's making an impact and um excited about it yeah that's amazing because again it's like a ripple effect as well right from from this experience and whomever they talk to it's amazing that you set up such an environment that they were open to sharing those kinds of details and feedback I, I think it was wonderful um you know we know leadership makes a difference and so Dr. Buxton was very supportive sent out information to families asked them to become involved um we Maybe I shouldn't even say this, but one, one, uh, one daycare uh, representative was so interested in attending. She was attending from the hospital bed. Oh, my oh, wow! She, she um, was listening in on the phone to, right. to make sure she could get the information, too. So wow. everyone one was of our staff eager. members, yes, right? Yes, yes. So That's... everyone was eager to, um, to be involved. So it, it, uh, it makes a difference. Absolutely, absolutely. And and you guys didn't make this up, right? No hit zone. I mean, you, you have materials that comes from somewhere, right? Correct, correct. So there are several organizations involved in the development um, of these materials, uh, which we distributed. Um, so you're absolutely correct. The, the delivery of them was done in a, tra- in a training model, if you will, by an expert, but... If I, if I uh, share some of the contributors, um, U.S. Alliance to End the Hitting of Children, uh, the International Organization on Violence with Children, the UP Institute, uh, which I should share, I am a board member of that say, that's institute. Regional. That's also, from this also, area. Yes, exactly. Right. American Professional Society on the Abuse of Children, the Foundling Organization, Zero Abuse Project. So these materials were developed and shared. So these are alternatives. There's information about 
uh, the brain science on the effects of hitting, spanking, corporal punishment. Um, but then also these materials are done by age on alternatives to working with children. When you d- we, we know it's frustrating. Those of us who have uh, been parents, um, it's difficult sometimes. It's mm-hmm. not easy when you have a crying baby. You know, what do you do in that situation? So we discuss those things, and then we also uh, shared materials. So we also wanted families and guardians to understand sometimes you have to ask for help. Hey, I, I need can what's my network? What's my social support like? Who can I have come in so that I can have a break? Self care is important when you're raising children. So, we try to approach it in a supportive manner, not an accusatory or judgmental manner. But here's here's what um, some things you can do, and it looks at each of these information. All this information we share was done by age. So that there's a one that is for zero to 12 months and then one to two, et cetera. Perfect. So we are nearing the end of this episode. I feel as though you could probably talk for three hours. It's so amazing. <laughs> what are the next steps for the project or the partnership? We are finalizing our results. And of course, we have offered to come back. We hope to be continued to supportive anytime coming back. Do We hope to expand to other centers. That's the ultimate goal to have outreach to other centers also. And what about for you, Dr. Buxton? Do you have any last messages you want to share for the episode? Well, I would just like to, of course, thank you for this opportunity. It's been really motivating and inspiring, and I love to have the opportunity to talk and to share because I really do have a passion for this and for the children and to have the partnership and to going forward, you know, just to see the growth and the development and the impact that we are having with the families and in the community. You know, it's just very inspiring, and I just appreciate this opportunity to talk and share with the listening world out there that they can know more about Ida Barber Early Learning Center and the impact that it has on the community. Fabulous. Thank you. And do you have a website? So we so do. Look we you up, do. Be it's okay, great. Ida Barber Early Learning Center.org. There you go. <laughs> and Dr. Erickson, any last messages for you? Um, I think I would echo Dr. Buxton's sentiments on a big thank you to for the opportunity for supporting the research in this area and then also to to Dr. Buxton for welcoming us into this center and we hope we can have an impact and we look forward to continuing that within the community so thank you for your ongoing support. And I want to thank both of you for being amazing guests I am so inspired by the work that both of you are doing. I also want to thank you our listeners again this is Dr. Felicia Mebbin and this is Health Healing and Hampton Roads.